What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I'm a Dream Mason, a performance coach. I work with strong and successful people to boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and the steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their life. Together, we get things done faster, raise the bar on your goals, improve your relationships, and get crystal clear on what you really want. Now, if you haven't already, please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube, and please leave a review on iTunes. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and share this podcast with a friend. Now, a dream mason is a person who is brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. Now, I know we all have a dream mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner dream mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Accomplishment Coaching. I won't let anyone sponsor this show, but I've personally done Accomplishment Coaching, their year-long life leadership training program, and it changed my life completely. Besides giving me a new career, it supported me to improve my relationships with my family, my friends, make the most money I've ever made, find more joy, and overall live a much more powerful life. So if you're interested in coaching, transformational work, or leadership training, Accomplishment Coaching is definitely the world's finest training program. Let's get into this episode. Today on the podcast, I have somebody who has worked with some really cool brands and some really cool names. And I think the best part is they're not here to talk about all those things, but to really talk about what they learned from those things. My guest today is Christy Ellington. She is an executive coach, a sales coach. She has done work with global brand partnerships, with sales, content, marketing, with companies like Nike, Hilton, Target, Amazon. And she's worked with the amazing humans that we know as Gary V, Lewis Howes, Marie Forleo, and Brene Brown. Christy, thanks for being here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of prefaced it. Well, what do, let me ask you this first. What do you want people to know about you um, outside of like the people you've worked with and what you've done and kind of your title? Is there anything you want to like share? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, uh, the thing that I want to share and the, the, the message that I'm trying to promote or like the, the thing that I'm like, my platform really is, is about, um, not letting fear hold you back from opportunity or your greatest potential. Um, I think fear affects us in a lot of different ways. Um, it can't be compartmentalized and you can't really get rid of it. So I think we have a, a, a misunderstood relationship with fear and that I'm trying to help people understand how to leverage it for, um, to become a strength rather than a weakness. So that's like, that's like my main thing. And, and my experience in my past history really leads me to that point, which is what I'm really passionate about. Well, let's talk about that. I wrote, cause you're, when we talked, you shared with me kind of your journey and your own personal story. Um, well, let me ask you before we actually get there, cause I want to actually talk about what your bigger goals are because then we can go back. What are you actually trying to create in your life and your, you know, what are you building and creating? I, my big 
audacious Harry Gold or however you, yeah. <laughs> B-H-A-D. Um, is, Mine is hairless. Yours is Harry, but this yeah. is... <laughs> is to um, positively impact corporate culture. Um, I come from a marketing and sales background and I've seen firsthand how um, toxic sales culture can be, especially when it's driven by fear of not hitting goals, fear of not getting commissions, not fear of saying no to a client, fear of failure, fear of rejection. Uh, this idea that in sales, you have to be someone else in order to be a success or that you need to project a certain type of personality and you can't really be yourself. And all of that is just like really being incongruent with who you really are. And uh, it really sets yourself up for failure because you're not being yourself. You don't uh, value your own personality, your own qualities. You're not putting your best foot forward when you're letting fear drive you. Um, And that just creates this hugely toxic Uh, really dysfunctional environment. And I've seen firsthand how that can happen. And so what I really want to do is um, help positively change corporate culture. And when I first started out, I was really focused on entrepreneurs. Like I wanted to help entrepreneurs learn how to sell themselves more authentically and with more confidence. Um, But then something clicked within me and I just realized that, you know, because I come from corporate culture and like these startups that turned into big companies and these, you know, dealing with these large corporations and these global brands that I could make a bigger impact there because these people are going to their nine to fives. They're going to their day to day day jobs. Like entrepreneurs inherently know that they have something of value to offer. Um, Whereas I feel like everyone sort of in the corporate environment just feels like I'm just going to clock in and clock out and try to do, you know, the rest of my life on the rest of my, the rest of my, my own terms, but we can become this like more fulfilled self uh, if we can just really step into our own power and build this authentic confidence, it's not based on someone else's opinion of us or what we think of someone else's opinion of us. So there's some piece of this, like getting into people's psyche about eliminating almost like the stories that run through our heads. Yes. Yeah. I would say that I lived most of my life with those stories and thinking that that was reality. Um, and that, you know, I was in so much fear of what everyone else was thinking about me or, and like, truth be told, like you're the only one thinking about yourself that much. (laughs) (laughs) And it's those types of stories and that mindset and that like constant, what I call like director's commentary going through your head about what people are saying, what people are doing, what you think people are thinking that really just brings you down and just creates this mindset and environment for yourself that you can't, it's really hard to pull out of. And it can take you to really dark places, uh, which is what I experienced myself. So, um, you know, just from my own experience, like I really do just, I know how painful it is. And I can only imagine how many people are living in that mindset every day. And I really do just want to help people understand that there's something else in a different way to live. Nice. I want to, um, I want to say like, I love what you're, what you're speaking to about the, like the director's commentary. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to just say it different. So like, it's totally, because I think every single person has this, Mm -hmm. we don't all realize it, but there's literally a conversation going on in our heads all the time. And if we're aware of it, we can hear it. Like when you're right now, I'm talking to you, you're having your own conversation. (laughs) Completely independent of my conversation, you are having a converse, full-on conversation with yourself about the past or the future or what you're going to say next or what I'm saying or how you're interpreting what I'm saying. Or it might even be something you're worried about that has nothing to do. And I think that we don't realize, like as people, 
that we all have this going on 24-7 all the time. All the time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's not bad, and it's not good, and it's not positive, and it's not negative. It just is. Yeah. And it's so controlling because, I mean, we can look at it in, like, we, we're not present, we're not paying attention, we're thinking of what's next, we're not listening, um, we're projecting whatever our fears, right? Because that for you, and we're going to talk about this, is so much of what was in your space. Yeah. Um, but we'll make, our, it's like that little voice or the voices, whatever they are, uh, will make that our realities real. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've read Amy Cuddy's book, Presence, but this was a big one for me too, as I was building my business, um, especially around sales. It's like, if you're not a hundred percent present, like when you're talking, I try to be really present with you and not have those thoughts going on in my head because I understand what's going on and I actively listen. But before I learned what that was or how to do that, I was thinking exactly what you're saying. Like, what am I going to say next? How am I going to respond? And like, when you're in sales specifically, that's like the worst thing you could be doing because you really want to listen in and like be present and pay attention to what someone's saying to you. Um, and that just like brings this whole other level of authenticity and, and trust between you and your clients. And so that book really helped me hone in on like, it's not just, you know, the voices in your head or how to manage that. It's actually like stopping that to listen to what other people are saying that really makes you present and really makes you appreciate like the moments that you're in moment to moment. Uh, Cause I feel like we just go through life so often with these thoughts in our heads and this commentary and this conversation and we miss so much, especially like if we're on our phones all the time or, you know, we're just being present is, is such a huge part of, of what I teach now and what I know now and, and what I want other people to learn or I hope to, that other people would want to learn. Um, and, and sort of take away from the stuff that, that I'm teaching or that we're talking about today. Do you have any practices that you use, just like simple things that don't, you know, that, that can support people to some tools or some practices, like when they are ha in a conversation? Mm -hmm. When they're Super. specifically in a conversation to, to listen? Yeah, to actually be, you know, like I know that when you're like, when I'm doing, even when I'm doing this podcast, like I take notes, I like jot things down because the act, it, it actually gets me like, oh, she said this. Mm -hmm. And I write down actually the words that you used versus changing the words in my head to whatever I thought you said. Yeah. Um, that's like a practice I have. And, but you can't always be out in the world taking notes, right? right. And, and for some people that would be even more distracting. What, yeah. do you, what do you use or what do you kind of teach people to be focused and present? So for business purposes, I typically um, try to teach people to, if you're going to go into like a conversation, a business conversation or a sales conversation where you want to be super present and you may want to remember stuff later, but you don't want to take notes. I just record the conversation. I whip out my phone and say, hey, I'm going to record this because I don't want to take notes. I want to be present with you and start having an actual conversation. And that actually... Um, you know, some people think, well, that might freak people out, but actually it just, it really just goes to show the level of trust that you're putting into the relationship and how vulnerable you're being is that I don't want to take notes. I don't want to seem distracted. I really want to listen into you and what you're saying. Um, in my own personal life, the way that I actively listen, and this is a technique that I use for myself is, um, when you're speaking, I'm envisioning like a movie in my mind about what you're saying. And that really puts me into the moment and it really puts me into like how you're feeling and how it might show up for me. So I'm actually, I'm actively visualizing what you're saying in my head and it really gets me into to the moment and, and the stories that you're telling. Nice. Let's talk about the stories that you did tell. 
you know, you, you've gotten here because you, you overcame the things to get here. This wasn't like a, Oh, this looks fun. It was like actually part of your life. <laughs> what was, um, let's go like all the way back. Like what was, where did fear really become, you know, rampant in your life? Um, so yeah, my story starts when I was a kid. Um, I would say my earliest, I don't have a lot of really early memories cause I think, um, just from, you know, traumatic memories, but, um, I would say when I was in elementary school, probably I remember kindergarten. Um, but essentially any time from like elementary school, I was an overweight kid. I was, my family was not well off. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. I had a really bad haircut. It was super short and it was perm. So it was just really big. I did not have any fashion sense. I was just super awkward. <laughs> so I was a really easy target. And, um, I do remember specifically hating recess because when you're at recess, it's like your teachers are far off and have a lot of ground to cover. So it was open season and I was like a really easy target um, for bullying. So there was one day um, that I remember that I was walking from the, the swing set to the water fountain. It was kind of a warm spring day and I had shorts on because it was kind of warm. I grew up in the Northern California, so it's it's hot most of the days. And this group of cool kids, I'll say in quotes, cool kids, because at the time they were considered cool and I definitely wasn't, um, <laughs> came up behind me and just followed me all the way from the swing set to the water fountain, just teasing me, saying how ugly I was, how disgusting my legs looked, how like the ground would shake every time I took a step. And I didn't make it to the water fountain because I just went straight into the girl's bathroom and went all the way back to the last stall in the bathroom to cry silently to myself, which is actually ideal because if you are bullied, you know that if you show reaction and you show emotion, it just gets worse, worse for you and it doesn't stop. And like my mom and my teachers would always say, just ignore them. They'll get bored. And they didn't get bored, um, but I got really good at stuffing down my emotions and ignoring my emotions and living in fear and analyzing every situation that I walked into um, for risk of being teased, being embarrassed, being vulnerable, being rejected, being judged. And so I pretended to be someone else. Like I pretended to be this loud, obnoxious, funny person because I was so scared of not being accepted for who I was. And that just kind of like snowballed throughout the rest of my life. Um, I would like, I focused really tightly on my career because I thought that that was something that I could control. And so I wanted to climb the ladder. I wanted to be like a corporate executive. And so I would go into networking situations um, where I would need to meet people. And I couldn't bring myself to actually like introduce myself half the time because I was so scared of being rejected. And I didn't know what to do with the emotions that came up when I had my child because I was spent my entire life ignoring emotions and not knowing what to do with them. So when my son was born, I had no idea what to do. I had postpartum depression and didn't know it. And I didn't want to talk about it because you don't talk about your feelings. And so that was an entire time of my life that I look back on now. And I'm like, God, I wish I would have said something because I feel like I missed the first couple of years of his life, um, not enjoying all of those really important moments. And then it got to the point where I started a new job. It was highly visible. This was like getting to the pinnacle of my career. And, and I spent all of this time working too hard, working late nights, staying out, bar hopping with my coworkers, trying to be this cool person, trying to be accepted, 
trying really hard not to be rejected. And it ended up just causing so much chaos for me and my husband that we separated. He kicked me out of the house because I would come home at ungodly hours, sometimes not even checking in, sometimes not even calling. And I would just show up and be passed out on the couch the next morning when he woke up. And this is when I had a child. This is when I was a mother, which is kind of insane. So that just like, it kind of snowballed to that point. And then it got to that point when I got, was living on my own. I was in this apartment. The only furniture I had was a blow up air mattress and a camping chair. And it was the first night in that apartment that I realized like, what are you doing? (laughs) You have like, you have, you have to like, you can't do things the same way this time. And so that's kind of like where the change started taking place. Wow. (laughs) Um, You didn't share it. No, it's, it's, (laughs) it's not a lot. It's, I mean, it's, it's real. It's your life. And it's not, there's so many people out there that have stories similar. Yeah. Um, It's just like the, you like hit your rock bottom. Yeah, absolutely. What I, what I was so present to as I was listening to you was this stupid, silly stuff that happened as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like it lays like a virus, right? And instead of spreading like out, it like spreads over the years. Mm -hmm. And as an, and it essentially ruined your life to, to a place. Now you essentially found a cure and like moved on, but like, it, it didn't have to go that way in the sense of you could still be there. There's a lot of ways this could have gone and how, how almost insane it is to think that like the thing that happens to us when we're like five, six, seven, eight, nine runs us as an adult. Yeah. Well, that's part of, I mean, yeah. When I started figuring this out and when I started studying the brain, cause I got really into studying emotion for my job And I was really studying how the brain worked and how emotions work and how fear works for my job, but not applying it to my own life. And once I realized, um, I started studying like deep into neuroscience. I feel like I should have been like a neuroscientist in another life or something because this stuff just absolutely fascinates me. Um, But I started understanding that when we are, it's between birth and seven and then again in adolescence when our neuropathways start forming. And this is where our habits and our beliefs are formed. So when you experience something that scares you when you're young, your brain picks that up and sort of builds a highway um, that says like, this is really scary. Don't do this again. And so, and you think about it like zero to seven. And then when we're adolescent, it kind of seems like nature's like sick joke. Cause those are like the worst times to be building habits and beliefs. Um, but those things will carry us through unless we start to form different beliefs. And I think this is a topic that a lot of people are starting to talk about now is like what you believe is how you're like, everyone perceives life differently because of their beliefs and this filter that they see life through. So whatever happened to you when you were a kid actually does stick with you unless you learn to tell yourself a different story and you start to form a different belief. So for me, I believed that I was unworthy of love. I was not worth kindness or, um, compassion. And that I had to work harder than everyone else to actually just be accepted. And that I had to sacrifice who I was to be accepted into the world. Because if I wasn't accepted, that was painful. It was embarrassing. It was, I was super vulnerable. I could, I would be teased. I would be seen as an imposter, all of these things because of those experiences that I had when I was a kid. So that's kind of how, when I started figuring this out, that's like what I discovered, which is fascinating yeah it's I I think the thing that that the the not clear piece for everyone is the um 
that people didn't have to say those things to you. Right. Like you write your own story, right? So the kids could have all been like, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. Nobody likes you. You have terrible fashion sense. And as, you know, what, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, however age you were, you then said, they're saying I'm worthless. I don't deserve love. I'm not good enough. Whatever that disempowering story is. And that to your I love how you talked about the neural pathways. Like you formed, you built that, you like built that bridge in your yeah. brain. Yeah. And then, and I know you do this with clients and I do it with clients is like, then you go around in life collecting all the evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, here's another piece. A boy didn't, I, I asked a boy out and he said no, yep. or um, somebody broke up with me or I got an F on a test or my parents didn't have the reaction that they should have had when I gave them news, whatever. Yep. Um, it's so crazy. Yeah. Even just as simple as I hear people say this all the time. It's like, I'm an introvert. It's like, are you really, is that true? <laughs> or is that a yeah. story that you've told yourself for so long? Yeah, it's not, it's not in your DNA. Yeah. <laughs> like you have, you have five fingers on each hand. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's true. A, like a fact that's true. Yeah. But like, Hey, I have a, I have big hands or I have small hands is like in, compared in, in compared relation to, to what? Yeah. Yeah. It's all in relation. There's a, um, there's a, I can't remember his name right now, but he, he tells this story. He's like a, he's an Indian mystic guru. And he talks about if, if you go to, um, he's like, if you're a six feet feet tall in the world, you're a tall man. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you walk like a tall man. You carry yourself like a tall man. You speak like a tall man, blah, blah, blah. You see the world like a tall man. But if suddenly you went to a place where everyone was eight feet tall, you carry yourself like a small man. You walk like a small man yeah. you see yourself as a, and it's all in relation. Yeah. And, as a kid, we don't actually have any, we, we just buy whatever the story is. Yes. Cause we don't know the difference. And yeah. I think we're all doing the best we can with the information and, and like the awareness that we have and like, God bless my family. They didn't know what to do with that either. Like my family, you know, they didn't talk about emotions either. Like they were the type of people that just wanted everyone to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. So we just didn't talk about it. So of course I didn't have the tools to do that. And it's not their fault. It's just like, that's what they did the best that they could with what they had. And the other thing, once I learned about like the director's commentary going on in your head, the other thing that kind of blew my mind um, as I started getting myself back in order was that everyone's perspective on life is completely different. Like you are the only person in this world with your perspective because of the experiences that you've had, the beliefs that you hold, the opinions that you have are all built on like these past experiences. So this is why there's so much um, like just conflict now is because people don't realize that your opinion and your view of the world is completely different than mine. And just having that understanding and that awareness like brings everything down like 10 or 15 notches. So these kids that teased me when I was a kid, when I was younger, you know, I spent most of my life hating them, but what was their perspective? What got them to that point? I have no idea. So now I have compassion for them because I don't know what it took for them to get to that point. Um, so I'm not sure where that's going, but basically, you know, everyone's perspective is different and it's just so interesting that we all see things so differently and experience things so differently. Yeah. And we're so convinced what I was getting from that. We we're also convinced that our perspective is right. Yeah. Or yours is wrong. Or even there's people that think their perspective is wrong. They actually believe that they're wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, or or if we go to other, it's like things are true or they're false or they're good or they're bad. And if we look at the world, right, like it's not just now. I mean, we yeah. can go back to the beginning of human beings and like actually just was talking about this. Nothing has fundamentally changed. 
We're still right. killing each other over money <laughs> and religion. There's still people that have it, have everything and people that have nothing. There's, we never agreed on what God or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We'll kill each other over it. Yeah. Boundaries of land have been fought. Over. Like all the major things have never actually changed. Yeah. The central things are just different. Yeah. <laughs> And like we've, I mean, I, and also it's like our lives are actually more, we have more of the things that we've needed than we've ever needed. And yet we're like more unhappy than we've ever been. Yeah. And that's interesting too. Um, because I've also read this book, it's called Your Survival Instinct is Killing You. Have you read that one? I have not, but it sounds like a cool read. <laughs> this is all about how, um, you know, us in our society today, like most of our needs are met, like for the most part, I'm just going to say like generally for most of Americans, our needs are met at least, especially where I'm at in San Francisco, like our needs are well more than met. (laughs) We have apps that deliver our groceries. We have, you know, on-demand taxi services. We have Netflix. We have everything that we possibly need just at the touch of a button on an app. And so our comfort levels have Uh, the bar of discomfort has significantly lowered. We have a really hard time being uncomfortable because everything is available to us at the snap of a finger. You sit in traffic, you see so many people just going off the handle because it's going to take them an extra five minutes to get to work with traffic. Um, We freak out over the smallest things. And so what this book is talking about is how, because our discomfort level or the bar of discomfort has lowered, it actually triggers our survival instinct and it triggers our stress levels so much easier. So we're just walking around with as like walking bags of anxiety all of the time because of technology, because our, we don't want to be just uncomfortable. We have all of our, these needs met, but yet we're still so stressed out because we can't handle being uncomfortable, uh, which I also find really fascinating. And it kind of seems like it should be the other way around, like that should cause less stress, but it's actually causing us more stress because we don't know how to be uncomfortable. Well, and we, I think it's, it's brilliant because it's like, and we're uncomfortable in our, sorry, we're comfortable in our discomfort. Yes, also. we've gotten so used to it. Like, I mean, think about, and every, if everyone that's listening to this knows at least one person, and if you don't know the person, you probably are the person who hates their job, but does nothing to get out of it. Right. Or comes up with all the reasons why they can't do anything to get out of it. Yeah. Hates their husband or their wife or their partner or whatever, and does nothing to change it. Yeah. hates themselves and does nothing to change it. Yeah. And that's like, they're so uncomfortable, but yet they're comfortable in their discomfort. And for me, I think that that's because they're afraid to fail at doing the thing that they want to do. Like, it's easier for you to say, I can't quit my job and actually do what I want to do because I have X, Y, and Z responsibilities. Or I can't leave my husband or my wife because we've been together for 20 years and we have kids and we're just going to wait until they graduate high school or whatever. Yeah. It's easier to say that than to actually take a risk and risk failure. And people don't want to fail because that's really uncomfortable. So they'd rather sit in in whatever situation that they're in, in their discomfort, in their unhappiness, and get really comfortable with that because they don't want to risk looking like a failure to their friends, their family, or like declaring that they're going to do something else and then failing at that because that's more painful. Why do you think that like the idea of failure is so terrifying and like devastating to us I think it's mostly our perception of how we're going to be perceived so it's not that I'm afraid to fail it's it's I'm afraid of what someone else will think of me because I failed 
it's, I'm afraid of how I will be perceived and what people are going to think about me or what they're going to say about me or what I'm going to do next. That's going to, that's more painful than me actually failing. Like I could try to go outside and go for a run and not tell anybody and fail and just go two blocks. And that doesn't really say anything to me, but if I'm telling everybody, Oh, I'm going to train for a half marathon and I don't do it. Like that's terrifying. That's more, that's embarrassing. That's me being like, I'm afraid I'm going to be shamed for that. And I think that's the part that trips us up. It's not just the, the fear of failure. It what, it's what that fear, that failure leads to and how other people would perceive us through that failure. So it's all about the way we look. It's all about the way we look. It's all about our, like, <laughs> I feel like we get so in our own heads about what other people think about us and what other people perceive us to be that it holds us back because like I've done this so many times. I've started five other businesses that I failed because I didn't want to put myself all the way out there. I didn't want to go in a hundred percent because I was afraid of what other people might think of me. I didn't want to tell anybody about my business because I was afraid of what my friends and family on Facebook would think. Like how ridiculous is that? How do we stop caring about what people think of us? Cause it's <laughs> so right. We all think of this, right? You and I can both say to each other, Hey, most of the time, let's just say, let's just say 90%, mm-hmm. even 80%. Everyone's worried about themselves, mm-hmm. but we can all think of a time when people weren't worried about themselves and they were pointing at us. Like we probably could all think of that time that we got embarrassed and that's why we think people are thinking about us. Yeah. But we're all like hyper obsessed with like, I don't want to do, and everybody's thing is different, but we don't want to fail or look bad, ultimately look bad. And, but we all tell each other, Hey, no one's paying attention to you anyway. But yeah, we're still, it's like we say the thing, we don't believe the thing, and we're playing in this like little dance with each other. Um, How do we actually stop caring about what people think of us? So for me, it's understanding how the brain works and like um, biologically where that comes from is what kind of broke me free of that, or at least started to, it was the first step. And when I, so our, we are hardwired biologically to be want it, want to be in a group, to be in a tribe, to be accepted and in a in a close knit family. Because if we don't, we risk being eaten by large animals somewhere else. Like that is hardwired in our brains. Like we think that we're living in 2019, but our brains are still functioning as <laughs> if we are a hundred thousand years old. That's the crazy part. Like our brains are old and yeah. the way that they're wired is ancient. And we think that we can evolve to a point where we're going to out evolve our brains to, to 2019, but we can't, it's old. It's going to take a really long time to get there. And so once I realized that it's just my biology that I want to be accepted, it's my biology that I want to be in, in a group, part of the cool kids, like being cool was like a huge thing for me when I was a kid. Like you wanted to be cool. You wanted to be in this in group. You want to be in this pack. And once you understand that like your fears of being rejection rejected and your fears of being judged and your fears of being embarrassed all stem from an ancient piece of our brain that wants to be involved and accepted in this group. But when you aren't, that's when it's really painful for you when you aren't because, you know, not just because of embarrassment, because biologically you want to be part of that group. So that was kind of the first step is just understanding that we're hardwired to want to be part of a group and to be accepted. Um, I think the second step really is understanding that like we all think that we're the center of the universe because we only see the world from our perspective. That's just default. 
I'm only seeing the world from, from my eyes, from my experiences and my background. Like if you put me up against someone who's never been teased, who is part of the cool group, part of like something else, they probably would have the same fears as me because they don't want to be that outcast. They don't want to be someone on the outside. Um, so we, we're all seeing the world from our perspective because that's just the default. We all think that we're the center of the universe because that's our default, like ready, like we are player one. This is our, this is our perspective. Cause that's just how it is. But everyone else thinks that too. Like you think you're the center of the universe. Someone else thinks they're the center of the universe. Like everyone else is more concerned about them and how they're being perceived than anyone else just biologically. And so once I learned it was biological, and like how that works, it really kind of set me free of, um, you know, always being concerned about what other people are thinking. I will say that there are a few books that I read that really kicked this off for me, which was, um, uh, I think it's called Three Rooms or Three Doors, um, where it's like getting into mindfulness, where it's like, you could live in the past, you could live in the future, but the present is where life really is. And once I learned about mindfulness and like opening that door of the present, instead of living in the past door and trying to project into the future door, that just like, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, I've been living my entire life in the past and projecting those fears into the future and not living my life right now. And right now it's like, what do I have to lose? Like if people are going to be, are going to judge me, then that's probably says more about them than it says about me. Um, so I would say like understanding biologically what, where we're hardwired to want to be accepted and then understanding mindfulness and, and being present and being aware in the, in, in the now versus what your life was like before and what you think it's going to be in the future. Yeah. I love that. Also in the now, there's also nothing. Right. There's like actually not like, <laughs> like, before I can even say now, we're on to the next now. Yeah. Right. Like in in I mean, unless somebody is legit, like actually hurting you in this moment. Right. There's no now. I mean, right. there is. That's all there is now. And typically in the now, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just said to somebody today, one of my clients, I was like, "You realize the past only exists in your mind. Yeah. We can't go there. There's no like. We can't go get like the little chubby kid who got made fun of and talk to him." It's, it's just exists in an imaginary place at this point. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, what was the, so, so it's, it's, I get like, I've read some great books about like the way our minds works and evolution too. So for you, when you were at this rock bottom place and you were sitting essentially in the apartment with just the blow up mattress and the camping chair, mm-hmm. it's like such a great, sad. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but it's a perfect, like you remember it vividly, just like you remember vividly the moment that created all of this. Yeah. Um, it's fun. Oh, I, I wanted to throw this in. You said like the cool kid thing. So I was the cool kid, like in elementary school, mm-hmm. but I didn't, but I thought I was the dumb kid. Like I became the cool kid because I didn't think I was the smart kid. Right. Like mm-hmm. I thought I was dumb. So then I had to pick a different thing and I was like, oh, I could be the cool kid. Right. And you then, still have the same fears and the same like fear of rejection and all that. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. So I can't do it's, it's, it's just slightly twisted, but it's all the same. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think actually it's really the best part about having these conversations with people and letting, and people like you who are willing to be vulnerable and open up about their lives is one of my hopes would be that people listening go, wait, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. 
it doesn't matter, you know, what country you're from or what religion you were, like something happened to you when you were a kid that made you essentially not feel accepted. Mm-hmm. And you then created this crazy story. Yep. So now we have you in an apartment with a sleeping, with a, with a blood mattress and a camping chair. How did you go? Like, how did you go from there to where you are now, which is not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So a lot of therapy. So I did not want to go to therapy. My husband and I started going to therapy before we separated and I just wasn't taking it seriously because I just was in my own world. I was like, this is going to be fine. You know, if we don't make it at least, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what I was thinking at that time. Cause it's like, you have so much going on in your own head. And it's like, again, like, there were so many voices going on in my head. I don't even really remember a lot of what happened in that last year before the separation. Um, but the only thing that I could think of when I was sitting there, because it was such a depressing scene and I finally was able to just sit and say, and like, look around me. And like, it's almost like I woke up and it was like, you are sitting in an apartment in downtown Oakland with an air mattress and a camping chair. There's no heat. I have one light. There's nothing in the fridge. I have no idea how I'm going to pay next month's rent, even though I signed his 12 month lease. I'm living on my own in the Bay area, which is so expensive. I got this kid that we have to like go back and forth now between two homes. And I kind of just like sat there taking stock of all of these things and all of the, like, you could see, I, I saw in my mind, every single step that I took that got me there, which is kind of crazy. Like you, my, my whole life just like fanned out behind me. And I saw all of the steps and like all of the wrong turns that I made. And I realized all of the decisions that got me to this point and where I could have done things differently. And I just got really, really, really sad and depressed and thought if I can't do this for myself, I have to do it for my husband and my son, because they're really the only ones that I think are going to be able to pull me out of this. Cause I was so depressed. So I changed jobs. I started going to therapy. I took on like I went to self-help groups or like, um, group coaching. I did, um, like, uh, um, mentorships and, uh, it's not AA, but it's like, you know, groups for like people who are separated from their families. And, um, like I, I like, I went all the way. I started listening to Oprah. Okay. Like <laughs> I went all the way in on all of the therapy, on all of the coaching, on all of the counseling, like all of it. And, um, bought all of the self-help books and it really took me like <laughs> a year and a half to the point where my husband would even think about going to couples counseling with me to try to e- even try to put our marriage back together. Um, so I would say that therapy was like the number one thing. It has been my best investment. It has been the best money I've ever spent, not just because it got me back to a place where I could reestablish my marriage or just reestablish myself, but I was able to find myself. I was able to figure out where these feelings were come from, coming from. I think there's like a point where you shift from therapy, which really delves into like the past and like where that comes from and how you feel about it to coaching where it's talking about, okay, you understand where you're coming from. You understand your origin that story. Now let's take it into like, where do you want to go next? And so like that coupling of, of therapy and coaching really, I think put me on a path where I, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on my life and my emotions and how I feel and, and perspective and, and like 
how to navigate life because it is really challenging and people, I don't think people understand how hard life really can be if you don't have the tools to be able to understand yourself. It's funny to say that because I think everyone's thinking like how hard life is. (laughs) And if they're not actually thinking about how hard life is, they've either done a whole lot of like probably accepting how things are just as they are not needing anything to be different or they're living an illusion. Yeah. Um, because right. And what's and hard is relative, right? What's hard for you and totally. what's hard for me and the person living in, you know, Alaska, what's hard for them is completely different. Right. Um, but it's hard. Like what I'm saying is, you know, you're, it's hard, but you might be looking at yourself as a victim of life instead of um, a student. And like, why is this all happening to me? And that's the part where it makes it really, really hard is because if you're looking at your life as you're a victim of it and you're just walking through it and you're a a victim of circumstance and everything's happening to you, um, instead of being like the active protagonist in your life where you're learning things and you're moving things forward, um, then that's where things can get get really dark and spiral out of control because you just start looking for those reasons and those victimizing situations um, in your life instead of trying to make things better understanding what the, why they're hap- why they're happening for you yeah the that question that you said is like why or I've been trying for myself to practice when where I'm thinking about it mm-hmm. they're they're such a waste of time yeah because it doesn't matter what we find <laughs> we we know how things work it doesn't change anything about them we also don't know how things like how many people know how a car engine works there's a bunch, right? Like a lot of people do, but like you, you don't, you just shook your head. I don't know like how it actually works, but yet we drive a car. Mm-hmm. We're not concerned. I don't know how my cell phone works. Mm-hmm. I have no concept of how, I don't even know how this works. Like how yeah. we, <laughs> and yet we're using it. So how knowing how doesn't actually make a difference. And like that endless search of like, why, why is my life like this? Or why did I turn out like this? It's like, if you found out who there's, first of all, there's no answer. How right. would you even know that you found the right answer? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just an endless abyss. Whereas what I hear you saying is taking action. Right. Okay. So your life is the way it is. Sucky or not sucky. However you feel about it. Now what? Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Keep living in that or do something different. And I got that you besides you did two things, which are really, really powerful. Well, one is you like got healing done. Mm -hmm. So, right. It wasn't, I don't think therapy is about finding out why I'm a believer that therapy is about healing so, it, so you don't necessarily need to know why you can be, you can accept it as it is. Sure. Yeah. Like it's, you know, um, and then you put into practice, like, Hey, now, how do I go forward while I'm healing? How do I go forward mm-hmm. in the future that I want? Yeah. Yeah. That was well. super important. I think for me understanding, yeah, that, that dual sides of things. Cause like for, for me and my therapy, it's, it was about like, you're right, healing those situations and healing that past self, like my inner child, if you will, and figuring out how to become the woman that I want to be going forward with the coaching. Because I think um, for me as a coach, like seeing the transformation that I had over the last couple of years and the way that I've, that it's helped other people is just so impactful. And I think like the idea of going to therapy and the idea of coaching has sort of had a a bit of a stigma in the past of like, Oh, I don't need that. You know, I'm, I'm, I have my shit together. Like I don't need any of that stuff. And people don't want to talk about their feelings, especially in sales, like circling back to what I'm doing now. It's like, 
people only talk about fear. They don't want to talk about feelings. They don't want to talk about emotions. They think that emotions have no place in business. They don't want to be seen as someone who's weak or a liability or that they don't have confidence or that they're not strong enough. And the fact is, is that we're all human and all of these emotions are part of your life. It's biology. Fear is not a failure. Fear is not a weakness. Fear is not a defect. Fear is biology and everyone experiences it. And if you can learn how to harness it and manage it going forward, you can become a different person who is stronger. You can become someone who steps into your full power. You can become someone who achieves all of the things that you want because you're not afraid of those other things like rejection or vulnerability or embarrassment or failure. So I hope that through these types of conversations and God bless you for, for doing these types of podcasts because it just helps people have permission to talk about these types of things. Yeah. Thanks. I, I'm, I'm like right there with you. I think I was one of those people. I didn't know how to have feelings. Yeah. Me neither. I didn't know. <laughs> and I, and, and I have way more, I'm still way better. I got a handle on some joy. I got a handle on having some sad being with sadness. Mm-hmm. I still struggle the most with being angry. Mm-hmm. Now the cool thing is I can actually be with other people's anger now and sadness, which I didn't have. I have a, a, when I used to be in in the hospitality world, I had a manager at one point who broke down crying in front of me and and her and I still joke about this. This is years later where I I kind of like put my hands up and I was like, Hey, I need you to, I need you to stop crying. So then we can talk. Like I could not be with her emotion, right? I didn't have it myself. So how could I be with someone else's? Yeah. Um, But yeah, like she, you know, when I look back, it's like that person in that moment needed some compassion, some empathy needed Mm -hmm. to be understood. Like there was nothing wrong with her. It was actually really brave and vulnerable for Mm -hmm. her, that person to come to me with, with their issues and actually break down and let it all out. Mm -hmm. Um, And it actually shows us more who people are, right? Like we get to see people in their full capacity versus sales meeting where everyone's like buttoned up tight. And yet people's lives are falling apart behind the scenes and they're miserable and they don't know how to, and they don't realize that they haven't made a sale because they've been fighting with their wife every day and they left the house pissed off and then they bring pissed off into every moment of every day. Yeah. And thinking about it from the other side too, so is your prospect. Like, understand, (laughs) like, we're going to say no to you because you seem pissed off and they're like really sensitive about it, you know, or something like that. It's like, we all are like just walking around with our past and we're dragging it into the the present and we're projecting it into the future. And until we can learn how to put it down and just like, just put, put it down, (laughs) you know, you're carrying it around, carrying around all these things. If you just understood what it was and just could put it down, you know, you would be able to see the world through a different lens versus the lens that's keeping you held back. You know? Yeah. How do you, um, well, what are your what are your favorite ways to get people that you work with, like especially teams? Like, I'm actually really interested in when you work with groups or teams. Mm-hmm. When you, how do you support a team to, you know, open up? Like, you, let's just say sales teams, because that's what we were mm-hmm. talking about. And, and, and in reality, everyone's selling something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care what your business is; you're selling something. Even mm-hmm. the library is trying to get people to come there. And get <laughs> um, but like. So when you sit down with a team, how do you get them to open up? Like, how do you crack that shell that they would even to create the space to like actually yeah. try something new? Um, it's been, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I think like there are people who are ready for it and there are people who aren't. 
Um, and I think what I start is explaining kind of the things that we've been talking about here. It's like, here's how it works. Here's how fear works. Here's how your brain works. Because when people get that sort of understanding, they start to open up a little bit with their own way of thinking because they didn't realize that type that, you know, they weren't aware of how it biologically we are functioning. Um, so it kind of gets their, their guard down a little bit, but really I work with small groups because I think that small groups are more impactful and it, people are afraid to talk about fear and people are afraid to talk about emotions. So if you keep the group small, it, it sort of keeps them insulated and feeling like this, they can trust the smaller group instead of being embarrassed in front of, you know, a sales team of 50 people. Um, but it really is about coaching. Like I bring a lot of coaching into the program and it is about, asking a lot of questions and having them ask each other questions and having them engage in conversations between themselves. And again, like not everybody is ready for the conversation. And I think you can, you can pick out people who aren't ready pretty early on um, and give them a choice of like, would you like to continue with this and, and, you know, talk to me about why you're not being able to open up or phase them out. Um, but it is really with the way that I start is by telling these types of stories about myself, because I truly believe that if you want other people to be vulnerable, you have to be vulnerable first. Like you have to take that first step. And once I'm able to, once I tell these stories and once I tell them where I came from and, and what my story was and, and all of the ways that I messed up throughout my career and all the ways that, you know, I was, you know, living in that apartment with the air mattress and the camping chair, like it cracks their shell a little bit. And I do think that, you know, as leaders, the people, most of the people that I coach, it's like, you have to start first. You can't expect your team to be vulnerable with you if you can't be vulnerable with them. So leading by example is, is a huge, huge, huge piece of that. That's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. I love, I love that. What do you, um, I want to ask you some like quick rapid fires. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest lesson you learned from hitting rock bottom, your rock bottom? Oh my God, there's so many. The biggest lesson. First one is, that comes to your mind. Um, we only have right now. Um, I think I spent a lot of my time thinking about what tomorrow was going to be like and what 10 years down the road was going to be like. And while I think planning for your future is important, the only thing you have is right now. And once I embraced the now, I became so much more like the world just filled with so much more color. Like, things became more vivid. I put my phone down and I'm playing with my kid, like very present and very intentionally now. Um, you know, I'm not on social media as much. I'm able to like pick up on small cues from my husband when he's stressed out or when he's feeling depressed or when he's upset. And it's like, we can have that conversation now, uh, because I'm there and I'm present and, I'm not, my mind isn't 50 places at once. And I think if I had known that earlier, it would have been a lot different. And you're back with your husband now. Like we are, guys, yeah. Which I just think is, it's just something to acknowledge you for, both of you really, because right, you both did it together. Yeah. Um, it's a yeah. lot for him too, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like for him, I mean, just I'm just thinking about the trust that it would take to yeah. like, um yeah, you both had to do it, but the fact that you created that is is pretty incredible. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. Yeah. What's the? Uh, do you have a Do you have a book that is kind of your? If people could read one book that would get them to see themselves or their life differently. Um, I don't know if you can see behind me, but this entire shelf is full of, <laughs> of those books. 
Um, What's but the first I would, one? What's the book that just like pops in your head? Is like everyone needs to read this. Uh, I would say the three is I can't remember if it's the three doors or the three rooms. Um, but that book changed my perspective on everything, and it was all about you know living in the past versus the present and the future. Um, that would be the one I I continue to read that all of the time now. It's still on my bedside table. And then how would you, I think you're, you give an interesting perspective, which I don't always have people on the podcast to talk about this. Would you give me your, like, you know, your under one minute, why you think someone would, um, someone that's listening, why therapy would be a great option for them or coaching would be a great option for them. Like how, if somebody's listening and they're going, wow, like therapy made a really different, big difference for her, but coaching sounds like it, like mm-hmm. I could use something. How would you, how would you kind of facilitate like posing it so someone could choose? Um, I would say that if you, I mean, I like notwithstanding, I think that coaching is good for everybody who like just wants to succeed um, because I don't think we can always do it on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, I think therapy is a really great option if you have, you know, past traumas or pains or fears that, you know, you need to go really deep into about, you know, where it came from, how you're feeling about it, how you bring those behaviors forward. But then again, there's this coaching element that also deals with how you bring your past behaviors forward. It doesn't go into deep into the situation, um, but it does talk more about looking forward and how you can change those behaviors and change those beliefs going forward so that you can excel and perform at your highest capability. Um, so for me, I can just give you from my, my experience, my therapy was great for understanding my past traumas and coaching has been really amazing for how to shift those ways of thinking into a different future, I guess. Awesome. And then my last question is what is the big breakthrough that you need to cause within yourself to like create the future that you're working on building? Mm. Um, I think they go hand in hand, but surrender and trust, I think are two big ones. Um, I have always tried to control the situation. I've always tried to control how I, how I appear, how the, how situations unfold, other people, my reaction, um, control has been a huge piece of my life. And I think that for me, in order to go into the next phase and really like take this leap forward that I want to want in my business, but also in my personal life and, and, um, in my relationships is to surrender control and to really trust that the best outcome will appear in some way, shape or form. Like I have to just trust myself. I have to trust that I know what I'm doing, but also that like things will work out for the best. Cause I think that's really the only way if you're living in the now and you're being really present, the only thing you can do is surrender to that moment and trust that things are going to be okay. If people want to contact you, look you up, you know, follow you. How do they do yeah. that? Um, all the links to all the places are on my website, which is christyellington.com. Pretty easy. Awesome. That's with a K and a Y. Christy, thank you so much for your vulnerability, your honesty, your generosity, your, your kindness, the love that you clearly have for your son and your husband. Um, I really want to acknowledge you for just like painting that vivid picture of your rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And like really getting us, like really getting us there and then showing us like the effort and the commitment and the action that it took to get you out of it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks for telling the stories too. Yeah, of course. It was fun. Thanks again. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. I am grateful to have you here. Please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube. And leave a review on iTunes. And share this podcast with a friend. If you want more, or you're ready to play a bigger game and create more clarity, freedom, and success in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at inspirationalalex. Or you can reach out to me at thedreammason.com or even email me at alex at thedreammason.com. Remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.